This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hut on this lovely uh, Tuesday. Hope you are enjoying the show so far. And as you know, this is now our third to last day of the noontime Buck Sexton Show. So please uh, do find a means to join me in the Freedom Hut. As it moves 6 to 9 Eastern on national syndication, you can subscribe on iTunes, uh, which I really uh, recommend and ask that you do. Just type in Buck Sexton with America now. And you are my evangelists. You are my trendsetters. You are uh, the army of this show, If should you choose to be it. And telling your friends about it and getting them to listen to the podcast too. I mean, if, if every person listening to this show uh, live, never mind, and inc- including the podcast too, but every person listening to the show live told two friends that there's this really cool radio show or podcast or whatever, and they started listening to it, uh, that would be an enormous win and would allow me to do even more stuff and more resources for the show, more time would be put into the show from others. Uh, obviously, I'm putting everything I have into it. So if you don't mind, uh, obviously everything has been up to this point, just give me your time and those of you who choose to uh, also support my sponsors, that's always a huge help. Uh, But if you would share the show with a friend or two, but most importantly of all, you, you listening, whoever that may be, uh, please do join me in the Freedom Hut at this new time, 6 to 9 Eastern on national syndication and go to Buck Saxon with America Now on iTunes. All right, uh, story time with Buck. So I thought I would spend some time today, because uh, why not? I thought I would spend some time on what was really the most, I think the most fun job I've ever had, although it only lasted for three months. And some of the things that I learned from that, just because I, I haven't really told you much about this story before. So I went to a school here in, so this is now story time with Buck. I hope we've gotten through enough of the, the news, the news of the day, that we you don't mind me uh, having a little little uh, kickback session with you all now, fireside chat style. And uh, I was a student at Regis, or I'd gone to Regis High School here in New York City, which is a great place. Um, I think very highly of it. Didn't really love it at the time. It was, it is a, it is a nerd factory. It is true. 
there are a lot of kids, most of the kids who get into scholarship schools, everybody goes for free. And it's now, I, I don't know what the dollars and cents cost is exactly, but it's about a, about a hundred thousand dollar scholarship to go there. And everyone goes for, for free and it's, it's a great place. It's on the Upper East Side. It's actually in what is among the most expensive neighborhoods of New York City, but it's full of kids who are from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, all different walks of life, uh, and it's, it's a really good place. It's Jesuit. It's a little bit progressive Catholic in some ways, but it still has some traditional and traditionalist aspects to it. Anyway, I, I played uh, soccer there. I would have played basketball there too. My basketball career was ended. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell you like the glories of my high school athletic career. I know you've got better things to do than hear that. But I would have played basketball there too, except my cornea was lacerated during tryouts freshman year by some kid who never should have been on the court in the first place, was not good at basketball at all, but just figured, well, why not try out? Well, his tryout ended my ended my high school basketball life because his uh, pinky nail more or less got stuck in my left eyeball and uh, it was pretty, it was brutal. It was, they were worried I was going to have permanent vision loss. Uh, so yeah, that was how my basketball career ended. Weird, weird, bad things that I have no control over like that, especially on the health front. I, I, I think that I somehow have had more than my share of those. I don't know why, but uh, anyway. I, w I played soccer there though. My senior year, I was the captain of the soccer team. So that was fun. And some of you are like, soccer, why not football? We don't really have football in New York City. The sports are or at least in Manhattan, because there's not enough. There's just not enough field space, and the, and the schools aren't big enough. They don't have the teams for it. So you really play basketball, soccer, tennis, baseball. Those are the, you know, and then other sports that people just pick up. Ice hockey, if you want to travel the rinks, things like that. But it's not. There's not a football culture here, which was a big shock for me when I got out into the big wide world of America and and went to a college where all of a sudden the football players were a thing. This was a this was supposed to be a big part of our school culture. I just thought of them as more or less the collection of many of the dumbest and uh, most irritating people I had to deal with on the campus. Not all. I had friends on the football team, too, by, of course. But if you were trying to find one place in college that was the re repository of, uh, of aggressive, stupid drunkenness uh, with jerks, it, the football team would have been a good place to start at Amherst. I had no... And a lot of professors were pretty open about their contempt for it, and I totally agreed with them. Because for a small school, my school had 1,600 students, and for a small school to have 80 people, 80 guys, so there's only 800 guys in the school, and there are about 70 or 80 guys who are on the football team. 10% of, of the male students at Amherst College are on the football team. They'd probably say, oh no, it's only 7.8 or something, but still, it's just crazy. Uh, and it, it was... We're supposed to all get excited. The kids were my size on the football team, except for the linemen and such. But the rest of them, I mean, this was not an impressive assortment of individuals. And uh, yeah, I had no love for the football team at all. I mean, there were nice people on it. I had friends on it. But overall, as an institution, Haverford College, which is very similar to Amherst, just got rid of its football team because it's not good and who cares? But these schools have this, it's really a nostalgic fixation. The, the stories about how alumni donations would dry up are nonsense. That's not true. Athletic departments, I think, at these smaller schools keep that going. And there are some very loud alumni who are desperate to relive their youth. And say, oh, I won't give money. Really, you're not going to support your alma mater if they don't have a good athletic program? I mean, you're, these people that are saying that are in their 50s and 60s and 70s, you care about what the athletic program is now? It's just, it's ridiculous. Going on a little tangent there, but I uh, I did not have a, an upbringing. I watched football and was professional and they're amazing athletes and I get that. My 
family are all Giants fans. So uh, I, I played soccer, and then when I graduated from college, I came back into New York, and I, I didn't really, I didn't really, I, I wanted to work at the CIA. It was the first job I applied for, and I had a feeling I would find my way into it, but I, I finally got the conditional offer. Well, it took about a year after I applied, I guess. I finally got an offer from them, and it was it's conditional on completing the background investigation. So now I'm a young guy in New York, and before I before the fall, even over the summer, I, it says, well, if you complete your background investigation, now you can uh, start you can start at the CIA, but it's going to take many months. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? I'm not going to sign up to be an investment banker and work 80 hours a week so that I can leave in six months and not get a bonus for the year. And that's that's why bankers do what they, especially the young ones, it's all in the bonus. So you get a good salary, but the end of year bonus or the fiscal year bonus, whatever it is, is where they make their, they make their money. Uh, so I wasn't going to do that. And it was just misery. That would have been misery. So uh, my parents convinced me at first I was a little skeptical. Uh, I got this offer out of nowhere for the headmaster of my high school to be a soccer coach. Uh, to coach JV soccer. So the junior varsity team, which is, they break it up. So they occasionally, I played varsity as a sophomore because, you know, hashtag awesomeness. No, I was, I was okay. I wasn't that good. Uh, but I did play varsity as a sophomore, usually freshman and sophomore, JV, and the juniors and seniors are varsity. That's the way it breaks down. So I was 22 years old, and I was coaching a whole bunch of 15 and 16-year-olds. So you can imagine what that is. So that's, they don't, yeah, they, they called me sir and, and at first, but uh, the age difference between us was not really that much. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a really young guy, just gotten out of college, and some of these kids are like my, they're my height, and they're 16. So, uh, but I was, I was coaching them. And I started, and I was also working at the Council on Foreign Relations at the time, which Illuminati and the Bilderbergs, and you know, it's all it's all done at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations is a very well, the very famous, very well known think tank, and it is, uh, you know, it's it's a place that gets a lot. People are a lot more excited about it, I think, than they should be. It's just not really that interesting. Uh, it's there's some brilliant scholars there doing scholarship, but there's no special room underneath the street that connects to the whatever consulate and then there's meetings there i mean these are the rumors these are the stories you hear about uh cfr is not that awesome it's not that exciting so anyway um i, I was working at cfr as an intern which was an incredibly difficult gig to get and it was really a i had to maneuver and it was a who you know thing by the way for those i was thinking about doing some advice this week on the show as well I gave a, this is now a complete diversion, guys. You have to stay with me. I'm sorry that I'm bouncing around. I gave a speech at Regis when I had been in media for a couple of years, just to just to a section of the senior class. They asked me to come by, and the uh, the dean I knew, you know, the assistant dean I knew well, and she was very nice to me. And she said, "Would you come by and speak to them about getting a job, you know, or what they should be thinking about for when they want to get jobs, both during and after college?" And I stood up before them, and I, this was really important. And I wish somebody had told me this. I stood up before them and I said, okay, so I'm in a, I know you guys, I went here too. This is a total separate point from the soccer where this is going to be, story time is going to be like this, guys. I'm just going to be bouncing around telling you stuff. Uh, but I stood up in front of this group of, so, so put the soccer coach thing on hold for a second and see how far. Uh, years, year, years and years later, after CIA and after starting media and having some, some early success with it, uh, although I need you all to download the podcast and tell your friends that I'm going to have real success. Shameless plug, but we're at the shameless plug part of the show because uh, we only have three days left of this show. So I, 
uh, stood up in front of this class, and it's a speech that I, I wish they would ask me to give more often because I think it's so useful, and I wish I had been told this. And that is that you're in front of these kids, and they all have, they are pretty much all number one, number two, maybe number three in their class in grammar school. And they're, they're used to doing the work and being rewarded for it. They're used to study hard, get an A, everyone's impressed. That, that's their view of the world, and they're very rigid by the book kids for the most part. I was always a little more, my mom would probably laugh right now, but I was always trying to, I, you know, I look for the angle. You know, I'm always wondering, do I really need to do this? Is there a better way to do this? Is, but with the, and I, I, you know, I would do it unless it was math, in which case I was just looking for the angle and not finding it and, and not really managing to find an easy way to do it either. Um, so I stood up in front of these kids and I said to them, you need to understand that getting jobs is not fair. It is not merit-based. It is, merit is a prerequisite for all of you, especially because this is a room full of kids, unlike some of the private schools in the city where Mumsy and Daddy aren't going to be snapping their fingers and making stuff happen. You know, Mumsy and Daddy never snapped a finger to get me a job ever of any kind. True of these kids in this room. Uh, that was the same, same deal with them. So I said to them, you need to understand that you're going up against people who are going to have uh, done everything they can to schmooze, to maneuver, to get letters of recommendation, to get phone calls made for them. And, and you have to embrace that to be successful, really. Now, being smart and being hardworking is not enough. That's, a, as I said, a necessary prerequisite. Without that, you're going to have big trouble. But being smart and being hardworking and being honorable is really good and it's important, but it is not enough on its own. Uh, you need to find out who can offer you the job. You need to find out who you might have a connection to, either alumni or family or friend, and establish relationships. Because getting because they always, there's always more candidates for the job than they can take. And for any good job out there, there's always more people and it's a tight, it's a it's a tight call. It's a tough question for them to answer, uh, and oftentimes, little things make all the difference. So some people refer to this in that book, The Tipping Point, as weak associations. I'm not, a, you know, weak associations can be great, but they also it's kind of like a lottery ticket. I mean, sure, it can be helpful, but associations. I mean, find people who will be mentors. Find people who will invest in you. Will make a phone call for you. Care about your future, and it's tough, but it requires hustle. So you have to play that, you have to be willing to play that game or else you're always going to be left behind by those who do play that game. And this is, and I know this is not what people tend to hear in high schools and colleges. I, I remember at Amherst going through the process, and I guess this is probably a show that's most useful for the younger folks who are in Team Buck or college age or in their 20s or 30s, so people that are still trying to figure out their careers, or maybe if you're going to make a career switch, I think this is all valuable stuff. This is what I've learned. Um, but it, it's really important that you understand that you know you got to play this game. You got to be willing to get in there, because otherwise you're going to be losing out to those who do. Who do? And when I say play the game, that sounds like it's underhanded or bad. I don't mean that, but it, it requires more. It requires more than just a great resume. It requires more than just really good grades and going to a good school. Because there are too many good schools. I mean, this is all changed now. And for a lot of jobs, especially people that want jobs that are, if you want to be a professor, if you want a job in media, if you want a job in at a top law firm or at a financial services firm, you know, Goldman Sachs, one of these places, 
you're not just competing with uh, the top tier of decent American schools. You're uh, compl- uh, uh, you're competing with schools from all over the world. You're competing with the top students from Mumbai, from Shanghai, from London, from you name it. And and they're using their family connections and they're using their their uh, you know, different edges and angles to try and get these positions. It's just a completely different game now. And I wish somebody had told me this at a, at a younger age. You know, you, you need to hustle. And I mean, you know, yeah, my parents would tell me, but you know, parents, you only realize when you're, you know, in your like late twenties, all of a sudden that your parents were right all the time. You know, at least for me, it was, you know, you're in your twenties, all the stuff they've been saying to you, you go, wow, they were really right. You know, nothing good does happen after midnight. That's, that's a true statement. You know, maybe it's 1am, but that's a, that's true. Um, uh, people say, oh, well, good things happen. And I go, well, maybe good things that you put in place that decisions you made at nine or 10 o'clock that you follow through on at midnight might be okay. But anything you decide to do or that just comes up on the fly at 1 a.m., it's just not a good idea. It's just not a good idea. Uh, it's a rule of thumb, not a good idea. So I told all these kids, you know, you need to get out there and market yourself and be aggressive and understand that it's not fair and you're going to be disappointed and you're really going to end up cheating yourself if you think that careers are based on fairness now. There is no fair. All right? it, it, it is a fight. You are not... When you're trying to get a job, everyone needs to stop thinking that there's this process and you show up with your resume and you have great grades and it's all going to work out for you. Uh, no, it's, it's not like that. It's Think of it more like you're outside a bar and there are bodies flying around everywhere and you're just trying to get out there safe and sound. And like You may have to crack a bottle over somebody's head. I'm, this is obviously a very intense analogy, but you know what I'm saying. You might have to throw down because everyone around you is throwing down and it's a melee and you know, it's a ruckus and that's the way it is. And if you sit there and you go, well, I didn't start this fight. I didn't want this. I'm, I'm a good person. You know, all of a sudden you know, you're going to get your teeth knocked out. So, uh, th- these are the things that I learned. Um, and, and at every step of the way, every step of my career process, it has been relationships with people that I was able to convince should they should believe in me. That was the deciding factor. Yeah, I had, I went to a, a college that, I mean, you know, it's not a university. They usually rank colleges and universities separately, but it's usually in the top three colleges in the country, believe it or not, Amherst College. Not, you know, Harvard's a university, Stanford's a university. Colleges are, the top colleges on these lists tend to be you know, Amherst, Williams, uh, Swarthmore. Um, yeah, those, those, are the, those are really the big three for the liberal arts schools. Um, there are some others. Okay, I actually uh, I'm going long here. I haven't even told you about soccer stuff. Story time with Buck continues, my friends. Uh, we're going to get into soccer coaching and fun stories, and I promise it'll be good. Just uh, stay with me. Be right back. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Buck Saxon Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. 
Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome back to the Freedom Huts. Uh, our story time with Buck will continue, but first, our sponsor this hour is silencershop.com. Uh, you're only going to hear me talking about it for a few more days, team, but Silencer Shop is simply the best place you can go to get a silencer for your firearm. They've got all the top brands in stock. You can get an excellent price on it. You can compare, see what the different styles are, of course, get a sense of what's in your price range from what's on that, and then apply that to what's on the site. Uh, and in terms of the paperwork and the process to get a silencer, silencershop.com knows how to get you through that. And they do more of those applications than anybody else who's comparable in the biz. So check them out. Go to silencershop.com. There are testimonials on the website. They've got great customer service. And I'm sure once you do it, I'm telling you, you'll be so happy you got a silencer. It's such a cool accessory for you to have for your firearm. And it makes the whole shooting experience more enjoyable, protects your hearing, protects your ears. Go to silencershop.com for more. Again, that is silencershop.com. Help make the world a quieter place. Story time with Buck, including his uh, illustrious soccer coaching career here in New York City, continues, and also how to get a job uh, for those of you who are on the younger side or making a career switch. Uh, all that stuff. Buck's hashtag wisdom continues. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Team, welcome back to the Freedom Hut. So I was telling you about jobs and my sense of how one goes about getting a job. I know, look, some of you are going to apply to schools and you're just going to get, or apply for jobs out of school and you're going to get them or you're going to career switch and you're so impressive on paper and in person that it's just going to happen. But in my experience, every job that I've really wanted that I've gotten, and I've gotten rejected by, and I think some of what makes me most able to there there are well four things that make that I think of that make me really able to uh, empathize with people is uh, just some out of the blue very annoying health challenges that I've had which factors into my thinking about um, uh, factors in my thinking about healthcare and the problems people deal with and I've at different times in my life I had to go through so much nonsense uh, a tremendous expense money I didn't have to get no answers from doctors. And look, I'm lucky. None of these were issues that were, you know, I wasn't facing a, anything that was life-threatening, but some of them were very uncomfortable and very annoying and, and persistent. And celiac disease being the most prominent one that took quite a while to figure all that out. Um, but I've had others too. And so uh, people that are sick and that aren't getting answers and that don't have the money to deal with it the way they want to, I, I understand that. I've lived, this is also why I think I'm very passionate about talking to you about healthcare. I'm not just like, Oh, I read this Heritage Foundation study. It's, no, I've been in an office 
where I'm going. So you're telling me you can't, you know, this probably won't do anything to change my condition, but, and it's not going to be covered by insurance maybe, and I don't really have the money, so I'm going to put it on a credit card, but this is my only option. And this is, this is healthcare in America today. And, and I have health insurance, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, so I've, I've dealt with all that. That, you know, I think all of us have this, like rejection and rejection and disappointment in our personal lives, love lives, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, rejection in particular. I mean, I, I've, I've taken, I, it's good though. I've taken more than my, I've, I've had rougher rejection, I'd say, than with uh, one or two exceptions, serious disappointments as to where something was going. But I, I've taken some just, not literal, but I've taken some, you know, flying wine bottles on the chin in, in terms of rejection. I mean, it just, you know, I think everything's great and just, you know, just there's somebody else that, you know, we're not going to go on that third date. I mean, that's happened to me. But the good thing is once you get, once you've had enough of those, you do build up a tolerance. Once you've had enough, I think this is great. And actually this person, and then you realize this person doesn't even want to see you for a second or a third date or whatever. So early stage, usually when someone gets to know me, we, we get along fine. But early stage, I, I've had more. So I, I get that, man. I, I get getting shot down and uh, have had more than my share of those. Uh, and then with jobs. I think I said four things, but really three things is what I meant. So my math, again, math is not something I excel in. But with jobs, I have been, I applied for so many different jobs over the years and had uh, all kinds of interviews where I really felt I was uh, put down or undermined in the interview and, and people were uh, pretty, pretty nasty to my face. And, and then, of course, in media, even though I have a job and, and have had a job now for, uh, almost six years continuously in media, I mean, I can't tell you how many things I've gone, gone out there for, tried to, tried to add into what I'm doing. And, and sometimes, you know, you just want to reach across the table and be like, I'm better than other people you're hiring to do this or, but, but it doesn't, like I said to you, it's not about fair. And media is probably the, is short of being an actor, the most unfair profession you could be in. Uh, the decisions that are made are terrible on a consistent basis, all across the board by all sorts of folks that get to make decisions. Uh, it's a really, it's a really skin thickening business, um, and not something that I recommend. As I always say, anybody who has a, uh, a a spouse, kids, and a mortgage, don't go, don't career switch into media. If you're already in it, fine, you know what you're into, but don't don't career switch into media. It's it's too it's unfair. It's too risky. Okay, back to soccer and to some happier things. So I want to talk to you about this. I was uh, my voice also from doing five hours of radio a day has just been like it constantly feels like my throat's a little swollen and my voice box is always breaking. That's kind of fun. Side note. Anyway, I was coaching soccer and at first, and I remember this, I was out with some friends at a bar here in New York City and everybody's going around and I was working at this internship at CFR, which is a very intellectually elite place. Uh, boring as heck to work there, though. I mean, I was just, and I was doing the most, you know, nonsense, not nonsense, but the most sort of routine clerical research and, and, and clerical clerical, you know, filing things, making copies. They didn't make me get coffee, but I would have, probably would have rather gone out and got people, people coffee than sat there. And the guy who I worked for, the guy I worked for, his name was Henry Siegman. And, and I remember, I haven't kept in touch. I don't know what's happened to him actually at all, but I remember uh, him bringing me in. He was just like, so I'll need you to print. He was a much older guy. To print off all of my emails and highlight the relevant points for me to read through when I can get to them. So I was like, so, 
So wait a second. You have any? E you have email, and you have a computer in front of you, but you want me to get access to your email and to print out your emails, and then to highlight in those printouts. Yes, I would like you to highlight in the in the email what I should read. And I was like, uh, very strange. Hold on, hold on one second, team. I gotta hit a break here. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton will be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, welcome back. Uh, pardon me for a second with that. I just had a little bit of a tech issue and wanted to go into a break. Uh, so uh, I was talking to you about, oh gosh, we're talking about a whole, oh, CFR. And he's, oh, I'd print out the things that I want to read off my emails and highlight them. And, uh, and I found out that he was a, he was a big, uh, like, liberal lefty. And the other two people working for the big liberal lefties. And they figured out that I was conservative. I was honestly too brash and too dumb right out of college to hide my political beliefs from people. I was stupid enough to allow it to be uh, written on my re to be written. I wrote on my resume or typed in my resume, you know, director of recruiting for the Amherst College Republicans. That's just that was a kiss of death for I'm sure any number of jobs I applied for. A terribly dumb thing to do, but I didn't know any better. I, I just didn't know what the you know what the differences here would be. I just I just couldn't really. Uh, understand right off the bat or that people were going to have an issue with this, that they were going to say that this was, anyway, uh, that this was going to be a problem for me. So I, moving on here for a second, I was uh, working at CFR and that was kind of a fancy, yeah, fancy-ish thing to do, but I was working at CFR and sure enough, I got this offer to be a JV soccer coach. And I figured, okay, well, you know, this will be this will be fun. And I was out with all these friends of mine who had gotten these fancy jobs and done all this fancy stuff. Uh, and they were working at investment banks, and they're working at all these really cool places. And I told them that I was thinking about doing JV soccer, and they actually a bunch of them, and these weren't close friends of mine; these were just people that I knew from the city. They made fun of me. They thought that this was you know, ha, 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 you know, they thought that this was all just, you know, one big funny joke. And yeah, they, they made fun of me. And I was not happy about it uh, at the time. Um, they are, oh, you know, this is why you went to Amherst and did all that. So you, and by the way, they were a bunch of idiots. And the ones that said this, I ended up not really spending much time uh, getting, you know, uh, these are not people that, that hung around in my life. But anyway, they're, they're making fun of me being a JV soccer coach, which, by the way, as any of you who have ever coached JV anything, coaching is awesome. Coaching is such a fun job. It's so cool to get out there and coach. I love it. I wish I could coach at a really high level, um, but I don't have the background really in, in athletics to, to do that. So I, where was I on this one? I was, you know, trying to find a better sense of, uh, you know, trying to find a better sense of what my schedule would be like. And I remember I asked, uh, I asked the guy, uh, Henry, uh, what the, what his sense of, you know, whether I should, uh, yeah, 
whether I should do this or not. It would it hurt the timing. And to his credit, he was really supportive. He was like, yeah, man, go for it. You should go do this thing. So he didn't say it like that. He said, well, I think coaching soccer is a fantastic idea for you, young man. And yeah, so, so good, good for him. I mean, he was cool about it. But it meant that I had to leave CFR where I had to wear, a, you had to wear a jacket and tie every day to be at this internship. So I was leaving in a suit. I would wear a suit to this thing. And then I would go straight from the Council on Foreign Relations in my suit to meet the kids out at the field usually for, uh, oh no, I mean, sorry, meet them at the school. Uh, sometimes I met them out at the field for soccer practice. And it was, it was fun. I mean, it was great from the start. Uh, the only part of it that I really didn't like was making cuts in the beginning. That was not, because I remember what that felt like. And it, it's so easy as an adult to look back on what it's like for kids, uh, you know, and, and realize like, who cares, you know, your high school athletic career, what difference does it really make? And it's not a, uh, you know, it's not something you get too excited about one way or the other. And, you know, sure enough, uh, when you're that age, it means a lot to you. It has a lot to do with your, your confidence level, has a lot to do with, um, you know, has a lot to do with uh, how you feel about yourself at that age. And, you know, and having been, having been cut from things, uh, I knew that it, re it really stinks. And, I remember when I cut the kids from JV who came out because I was in charge of tryouts and all of a sudden it's just I'm making a list of kids and I have a couple of days to watch them play and figure out you know, who I'm going to take and who not. And I told them all, I said, look, this is the, you know, I read off the names for the, for the team. And after that last day of tryouts, I said, anybody who wants to talk to me about an honest assessment as to what they could do for the team to make the team next year or just to, to talk to me about why they think, you know, if they think it was unfair or anything, I will stay behind practice today and one by one, I'm happy. And a, and a bunch of them did. And it was, uh, I, I, of course, kept my word and spoke to each one of them and was very honest about it. And I, I think they appreciated that. Um, I think the kids appreciated that I, I wasn't just making these decisions and then it was all, you know, left on me to, and, and, and that, you know, I, I wasn't going to hear anyone's anything about any of this stuff. So uh, I spoke to him. One kid was crying and that, that you know, that didn't feel good. I, did, I wasn't trying to make him upset. He actually was a pretty good player, but he was just, a, he, was a he was much smaller than the other kids and was getting pushed off, pushed off the ball a lot. And he was only a freshman. And so I figured by sophomore year, you know, maybe he'll grow a little bit and, and, and be in a position. But I always remembered that one, that, uh, you know, he was really upset. And I understood. I mean, he wasn't crying like you know, screaming, and he wasn't a baby, but yeah, he was tearing up, and I get that. And I, I and I didn't, uh, you know, his kids are. You know, he, I guess I said 15, 16. No, they were 14, 15, I think that's right, fourteen, fifteen. Um, and so, anyways, he was talking to me, and he was upset. So then we got going on the season, and the season was just awesome, and we had such a good team, and I got we get so fired up, and I actually would play and practice sometimes. Uh, I would kick on some cleats and uh, go out there, and you know knock it around on the field and uh uh you know I, I think they appreciated that too so i would when i would we do drills i would sort of run the drills but i also was able to get in you know get in the mix a little bit and show them some show them different moves and things so uh we were a really good team we ended up going uh i think it was uh, i think the official record was 11 1 and 1 on the season we almost went totally undefeated until the semifinals of the city championship which i think at the time was the best that the JV soccer team had done in 
I don't know, I don't know how many uh, decades, but like 15 years or something. It was a, it was a long time. Uh, we got so far. We came so close too in that last game to winning. Uh, I remember that it was. We had uh, it was such a tight tight finish at the end there. Um, and the parents really took, took a liking to me because I don't know, I, I, they could tell I loved it and we get really fired up during the games and I don't yell at sporting events. I don't get excited watching sporting events in terms of you know yelling and clapping. I don't really understand that, especially if you're at home and you're watching on the TV. I just can't get that into it. Um, but with my kids, man, I was yelling and running around the field and it was great. And, uh, there were some crazy moments, you know, I had some parents of the opposing team yell some pretty bizarre and aggressive and occasionally profane things at me across the field. Uh, people get really into their kids' sports in a way that you sort of wonder how they've become so detached from reality and, and even like the consequences under law of doing certain things if they were to follow through on them. Uh, you know, don't, don't want to usually yell at a, at a coach and an opposing team that, you know, you're going to find him in the parking lot after the game, you know? So that sort of stuff happened too. Um, but it was, I mean, we, we had a couple of really standout players and it was such a great fun season. And it was the first, it was really important for me because it was the first time that I ever found something that I got paid for. And I got paid for, you know, it was, I was paid very, very low. It was really an honorarium. I mean, it was the equivalent of like a few, a few dinners or a few nights out in New York city for three months of coaching. And it was the first time that I ever realized you can get paid to do something you love and it's really cool and you really enjoy now, I'm not going to say that the CIA was service and I thought it'd be really cool. I didn't love it. I liked it. Uh, but there are parts of this job, parts of doing media, really this, doing radio and being able to talk to all of you, that I do love. And I do think it's really a gift and a blessing that I made. Just as it was awesome and I got fired up to go out there on the field with those kids and we were winning all these games and they were loving it and it was a really peak experience for them and for me. Uh, Every day I get to get on radio and speak to uh, Team Buck, uh, speak to all of you, is is a good day, really. And I try to be thankful for that and, and understand that I am very blessed that even up to this point, I've been able to make a living doing something that I love and that I, I find important. And it's certainly important for me. I mean, I, I love it. So that's my little soccer coaching story. I might have some more details uh, later on in the week about that or also some other aspects of all things. Uh, team aspects of all things. I don't even know what that means. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Uh, please download Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. Tune in tonight, 6 to 9 Eastern, however you can. Uh, please do that as well. And until next time, my friends, uh, Shield Talk. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.